I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Nolan, thank you so much for coming on my show. Happy to be here. It's exciting, uh, exciting topics to talk about. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think I told you, we, we interview, we've interviewed a few people about TMS and we're going to, you know, for all of our listeners that, you know, don't know what that is, we'll give an explanation, but um, we haven't had anyone come on about this and something else that you and I might touch on that are coming from the research field study educational perspective. And that's always really important to me that things are coming from an educated place, not from what the market is trying to sell. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, we're we're doing this to understand mechanism. So, yeah. So one of the, one of the things that we were going to talk about was obsessive compulsive disorder. So, um, and you actually made us aware that um, OCD Awareness Week is coming up, actually is this month, or this, when is it coming up in October? Yeah, so Stanford has a, uh, an OCD Awareness um, weekend that's coming up soon. The uh, Carolyn Rodriguez, a, uh, a colleague of mine is running, and, and so the, kind of, week is the 7th through the 13th and then we're we're doing the doing the uh, kind of weekend uh, course this upcoming weekend here at Stanford so mm, interesting okay well timely show we'll make sure we you know get this up before then but why is this something that you chose to study yeah so i've um i studied a number of neuropsychiatric conditions so depression obsessive compulsive disorder Tourette's syndrome, Parkinson's disease, and they all seem to uh, affect similar circuitry, not the exact same circuitry in the brain, but similar circuitry and the comorbid, uh, the comorbidities of one with the other quite high. So folks that have Tourette's syndrome, for instance, have higher chance of having obsessive compulsive disorder and vice versa. People with OCD have depression. And so um, so it's it's a way uh, to understand the brain circuits that are involved with things like um, you know uh, repetitive thinking and repetitive behaviors. 
Yeah, and you know, people know. Thank goodness, you know, sometimes for movies because they reach such a wide audience. Thank goodness we have movies、uh, like the one that Jack Nicholson was in、um, with Helen Hunt. Okay, the movie that I'm talking about is called As Good as It Gets, and I'm not. It was with Jack Nicholson. Helen Hunt won the、uh, Best Actress award for the movie. Jack Nicholson was the one with OCD, and、uh, yeah, you know, it. it I. Uh, listen, I grew up with this with a, a parent. I think both of my parents had this, and to the treatment-resistant degree, which we're going to get into talking about. But I thought it was a pretty decent representative of what、um, it can be like. Of course, they turned it into La La Movie Land,、um, you know, throughout the movie. But they—he's such a great actor. I thought it was—I、um, thought it was a good representation. And Obviously, whenever you do something like that that has a wide audience, it's bringing awareness to the rest of the public, maybe to have more compassion for people that suffer from these things. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think、um, I think it was a good movie. I mean, it, you know, nothing's obviously perfect as far as、uh, demonstrating the these conditions, just because、uh, you know somebody like Jack Nicholson's having to kind of see this from. From the outside,、um, the the aviator、um, right. that、uh, Leo DiCaprio did、yeah. was another was another、um, example of of OCD. But there have been a number of prominent people that have been you know quite instrumental and in, in change in the world that have had、uh, this problem, and it's it's a double edged sword because they they're obviously obsessed about their work and they're very detail oriented. Uh, and they're able to see certain things that others can't see, but at the same time, it it can hijack one's life and and cause for folks to have a,、uh, impairment across other areas of their life, and、uh, and it you know it's disabling for certain people. And after a certain point, OCD can get so bad for certain subpopulation of indiv- individuals, they really can't leave their house. They really can't stop doing these repetitive behaviors and and obsessing over certain things. You know, all day sometimes. So. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I've, I've, that's something that I've been very curious about because both parents having it. I'm like, when is it going to hit me? And I'm the only child. But and I can see where I've got this attention to detail thing that does drive my staff dingy sometimes because I will figure out the most minute detail of what should have clicked here. You should do this. You should do that. And it, it. I don't understand why they don't see what I'm seeing. And I've had to learn over the years. I mean, I'm 48 now, so I've definitely calmed down. And medication is wonderful. <laughs> But、yeah. um, it used to make me really upset. Like, why? These are obvious issues. Like, why can't you do it exactly the way that I told you the first time? You know. And now I'm way calmer. But I was pretty. You know, I just couldn't get it, and I think I'd like you to talk about that. Like, they don't get people that have this; they don't necessarily realize that other people can't see things the way that they do, or that they don't, you know, that they just don't get it. Yeah. So,、um, there's a great book by Nasir Gahimi and、uh, Harvard called First Rate Madness, and it, it details <laughs> it's it's more on the end of.、Um, On the mood side of things, but it details a number of of folks that were very influential、uh, in history. That、um, kind of psychiatric historians attribute,、mm. uh, uh, kind of speculate that these folks had、uh, various mood disorders, unipolar, bipolar depression. And what the book details this idea that maybe part of their 
leadership skills in times of duress and times of extreme stress um, were it was complemented by the the mood disorder was complemented by that kind of state of of mind at the oh, time and so yeah and so uh, for mm. instance talks about Winston Churchill being able to see being able to see the threat of Hitler uh, way earlier than everybody else and in that was able to uh, to kind of warn Europe much quicker than would have normally uh, happened and so I think I think in the same way OCD can you know those traits can be um, can be helpful for kind of making you know perfecting certain things right. uh, but when it when it gets um, when it gets too bad then it uh, it kind of devolves into something that doesn't necessarily help and in many ways can harm the individual. And that, that's really um, the sorts of patients that I've seen, uh, whether it be for TMS or for, you know, for some people up to do, um, you know, brain surgery for OCD. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those individuals, it's, um, it's so bad, they're not really able to, to leave their house. They're not really able right. to do much of anything because any, any behavior, any new content will you know, will kind of spin them out of control and they can't really process the information. And so people talk about things like a inverse U-shaped curve sort of thing where after you hit a certain point, people are um, just so not functional that, that there's no real uh, benefit derived yeah. from that way of thinking. And so, you know, that's that's where these interventions come in, these um, you know, more aggressive brain stimulation sorts of interventions where we can actually bring the brain circuitry back closer towards normal and folks can have some relief. Let me ask you this. Okay. So similar to, well, maybe it's not similar. You're, you're the, you're the doctor here, but like bipolar disorder where many, and, and also with schizoaffective disorder. So many people don't want to take their medication because they love the manic part that's the the high some hate it but you know they feel like their artistry is hampered when they're medicated and they can't get to that you know that Mm -hmm. place and do you find that with people who you know don't have a co-occurring disorder but they are just straight OCD and nothing on the bipolar side but do you find that with OCD as well where they don't necessarily want to curb that ability to be so um Focused. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a, a risk, it's a it's a benefit um, kind of side effect profile balance, right? And so, the individuals that I tend to see are are on the side of it's so bad they know they need to do something. Certainly, folks uh, have had you know reported side effects for a variety of medications and you know don't want to take it many times with individuals with OCD it's much less on the end of actually having the side effect or having kind of a minimal side effect and obsessing about the potential for having side effects or obsessing about what that side effect means and elect to not take medications the the beauty of TMS in OCD is that um does it help as, to as calm, long, the, calm the brain down to a to a more restful state so that they're not constantly mm, 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 mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the goal. But kind of going in, um, what's useful about it is that outside of the, you know, the very low chance of somebody having a TMS-related seizure, there's really not that way, not that much any kind of side effects on the long term. I've never had a patient tell me, uh, "Gosh, doc, I've, I'm so much better for my depression or my OCD or whatever it is." But this TMS caused me to have some sort of feeling, right? Some some new feeling or some new kind of psychological side effect. I've never never really that. heard that um, what, before. And what kinds of feeling? What what just their feelings in general, like being angry or being overly emotional in their opinion, that kind of thing. Yeah, like when you hear, you know, certain folks have told me with medications that they would they'd feel less depressed, but they feel more numb or something like this. Mm-hmm. With TMS, you don't really, I've never heard, nobody's ever come to me and say, oh yeah, I feel, you know, I feel less depressed, but I feel this way now or something. You never really hear that. Okay. Um, and it, and the, the reason why I think that's probably the case is because you're with, with TMS, um, with, you know, focal neuromodulation more generally, you're really just hitting the one brain circuit that that's um, not optimally functioning without really spilling into other areas, right? You're not you're not getting into other brain circuits that are um, that aren't kind of optimized, and so because of that, um, you know, and and because you're not putting kind of a a chemical in, but rather you're driving a circuit. It seems like people have much less in the way of um, of having other side effects. And so for somebody with obsessive compulsive disorder, it's in particular, it's a, a really nice intervention because it gets away from all of those concerns on the front end. And the reason why a lot of folks with OCD don't like really even starting medications. And so that's, that, that to me is one of the good, um, the good aspects of it. And then, as you said, the idea is that after they start, then it, you know the the stimulation kind of turns down those same circuits that that cause people to be worried about it, and so they kind of come out of the treatment doing well and able to kind of handle other information, and maybe they can then go on to take a medication or do therapy or something like that because they um, they're not as worried about it anymore. And so I so see. Yeah. Okay, okay, I see. I can see that. Tell our listeners, I mean, I know what TMS is, but just, you know, for anyone that, that doesn't know, explain what it is and what the device does. And this is FDA yeah. approved, what you're going to be talking about. So Yeah, yeah. So we've known since 1985 that if you take a, a magnet, um, an electromagnet that is um, sufficiently strong enough, so the same... Strength is an MRI scanner, roughly. Um, If you take a magnet that is that strong and you bring it close to the brain, you can capitalize on a phenomenon we've known for a long time called Faraday's uh, law, which says that if you you pulse a magnet, then you induce a current under whatever you're pulsing the magnet over, right? And so in the case of say, a nerve in your arm. If we pulse the magnet over a motor nerve in your arm, we'd get your hand to move. Mm-hmm. If we pulse the magnet over the motor cortex controlling your hand, we can get your hand to move for the same principle that we're making the brain kind of uh, nerve cells fire, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you 
we've known that since 85, since 95, we've known that if you put um, a TMS coil over the mood circuitry in the brain, that you can Which turn that mood circuitry Which, on. Which sits where on your head? So let's get like to brass. Uh, over something called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, right? So where, so would, where would that be? Near your ears? Um, just, kind of on your hairline. Okay, so you know, the hairline kind of is on your hairline, your... close to where your eyebrow. Okay, okay. Is. gotcha. Okay, right? got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we've known since '95 that that's the case, and then um, you know, within a couple of years, folks have been looking for uh, places in the brain to try to stimulate for obsessive compulsive disorder. A number have been tried, and you know, most recently, um, the anterior cingulate, which is in the middle of the brain, kind of close to the hairline, is, mm -hmm. uh, is an area that seems like it's probably a good one to, to go after. So we're talking um, about on the top of our head, when you're our forehead, the top of our forehead hairline, or also yeah, like on a head. normal hairline, maybe right at the middle of okay. the forehead. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if you put a coil there, um, then, and you stimulate over six weeks, you know, once a day, or for 20 minutes or so, then you get, uh, you can reduce OCD symptoms. So a company called mm -hmm. Brainsway got an approval uh, a couple months ago to treat folks with obsessive compulsive disorder. And the idea there is uh, the same one as, as the approval for depression, which is about a decade old. And that's to excite that, in this case, the anterior cingulate cortex uh, over and over again every day and reduce the symptoms of OCD. And the way it works is that every time you pulse, a magnetic pulse, you generate a current underneath it. If you give a couple thousand pulses a day, um, then you turn that area on a couple thousand times a day. And if you do that over the course of a couple of weeks, then you turn that uh, region on, you know, somewhere between 50 and 100,000 times. And, um, and the idea there is that, you know, after a certain number of times, you send a learning signal into the brain and the brain learns Sensory that it doesn't wire. need to, yeah, it doesn't need to yeah. kind of excite at the same level. So that's, that's the theory behind it. And so that's kind of the, the, uh, the framework in which we build all therapeutic TMS approaches. Okay. So doing this, there's been, you know, talk about insurance not covering things like TMS. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the person I interviewed several years ago, you know, it wasn't, it was a very expensive treatment. So yeah, that's anyway. changed. I know, I know no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Okay, so when we're talking about something like TMS, we were going to talk about the insurance piece. That that whole, that has changed now. Insurance will cover these kinds of uh, treatments. 
Yeah, so it's depression's been approved for going on ten years now, and um, and uh, the deal has been that insurance companies for a long time didn't want to cover it just because they 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 thought this was an expensive thing to to pay for uh, and, right. and would refer to as an experimental treatment, even though it had a FDA approval. Um, more recently, with uh, detailed analyses coming out of Several groups have been able to convince Medicare that, and, and other payers that uh, they should, in fact, cover it because it's better in head-to-head comparisons to to medications at that same severity level. And so now, nearly every insurance company covers TMS for depression. Right. The, the the big question will now be how slow is the process for insurance companies to pick up OCD coverage. The assumption in my head is that the, that it won't take that long just because they already have an infrastructure for covering this with, um, you know, for depression, but mm-hmm. who, you know, the, the jury's kind of out in that one. My sense is, is that it shouldn't take too long. Right. And, you know, we've got now that Medicare is covering it for depression, people pay very minimal copay. There's no, prior authorization, blah, 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 people can get this relatively easily. And so uh, that's a huge, that's a huge and important jump in, in this whole process because um, before this, yeah, like you said, people were spending a whole lot of money trying to get this, uh, this therapy. So. Right. And I know, you know, there, there are always, whenever there's something like this, that's a device, there's always going to be companies that come out and give you the home version of it. And some of them are okay. And some of them are awful. Tell me with TMS, this is not something that someone ever takes home with them. They go to a clinic and, or, you know, a mental health practice and it's done in that environment. Correct. Yeah, so just to clarify, TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. There's mm-hmm. other devices out there. So other devices include transcranial direct current stimulation, transcranial alternating current stimulation. They're not the same thing, and uh, they don't have the same level of evidence between them. And so transcranial magnetic stimulation is something that's FDA-approved, using modern clinical trial methodology uh, and has largely been a in-the-office treatment. There are companies that are developing TMS devices now that are in pivotal trials that would be take-home devices, that it would go through all the regulatory processes for such a thing. There are also companies that sell transcranial direct current stimulation devices directly to consumers. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's you know, those companies are, you know, selling it as cognitive enhancement tools and gaming enhancement tools and things like this. <laughs> okay. And then there's companies like um, that have, have built TACS devices, and they actually have FDA approval through the grandfathering process that occurred when ECT got grandfathered in. Okay. And so um, those companies can kind of say that they have FDA approval, but the, they didn't. They didn't get. They, they didn't go through the modern clinical trial methodology to get that FDA approval. And so it's important okay. to understand the, the, the distinction there, right? So right. the distinction is, you know, you want, ideally you would want to go after an intervention that has gone through 
the FDA's kind of modern clinical trial um, infrastructure in order to be able to um, to uh, know that you know the relative safety parameters around making that choice. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah. So, treatment resistant OCD. I can see where patients don't want to take meds because, of course, they're they get OCD about it. Yeah. Um, this being something much e- more easy to tolerate for them to the point that maybe they will also be able to take medication if that's what's if that's what's in their treatment protocol. But why do you think you know for treatment resistant OCD and and what I'm veering towards now is treatment resistant may, meaning that medication has been used, other things have been used, and the patient is just worn out from the whole medication process, nothing is helping. Is that a situation too where someone would be sent, you know, to use TMS because nothing else has helped? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's the idea. I mean, I'm not saying that this is, um, so, you know, only prep for doing other things. The idea right. of TMS is that it's, that it's a treatment, right? And that folks yeah. in that in that kind of uh, framework or description of failing um, all of their available treatments, that's the general patient that we end up treating through TMS is the folks that have failed everything. And so, so yeah, I, all I was saying was that before was that there may be a change in uh, the patient's overall perception once they right. were to get better from TMS. But the goal is to take individuals that are treatment resistant that have um, not responded to the typical therapies, the exposure and response prevention psychotherapy, and then certain antidepressant um, drugs that have been shown to be effective in OCD. Gotcha. So let's talk about, let's give some examples so people understand, those of you uh, listeners that don't really know much about OCD, what it does, how it affects people. Can you kind of give some examples as to what it severe OCD looks like and then, you know, not so severe? Sure. So OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder is uh, a condition in which individuals have a combination, usually have a combination of obsessions, meaning very specific content items that they're thinking about over and over again. And then um, and then compulsions, meaning that their behaviors in the environment that they do in order to reduce the anxiety around the obsession. Mm-hmm. And so an example of this would be somebody who had a contamination obsession, right? So they obsessed mm-hmm. with something being contaminated and then they repetitively clean, they compulsively clean yes. that thing or buy a new one and throw the old one away or whatever it may be to reduce the anxiety around um, around the beliefs of what would happen if they were accidentally exposed to that contaminant. So I had an individual who, um, really severe OCD, who felt like every time he brushed his teeth, he then contaminated the toothbrush that he used to brush his teeth. And so he had to throw the toothbrush away, you know, after a single use. And so he used 365 toothbrushes toothbrushes a year because he only used them once, right? And so... That that's a, a kind of a clear example. Um, somebody who 
has a, a, a an obsession of um, accidentally hurting somebody or accidentally running over something. You know, I had a patients who do these things called retracing with their cars, where they ac- they thought they may have accidentally run over something or someone, mm-hmm. and then they'll kind of loop back around and look and check again to see if they they did it. And when they they loop back around and what we call retrace, they find that um, they they there's no evidence uh, to suggest that they did, but then they get concerned that that second time they looked, they may have hit something, so they have to go check a third time. And so, um, you know, so people can retrace many, many, many times uh, before they do it just the right way to be able to stop. And And so, um, or get to where they needed to go. Yeah. Get to work, get back home. Yeah. Any of those things. And so, you know, mild OCD, one may check once or twice, and then that's enough to then go on with your day. You know, as you get into moderate to severe OCD, people are checking 10 times, 15, 20 times. And if you're, if you get, you can imagine if, you, you know, half of your day or a third of your day, the things that you do, you need to check that you did them more than once, um, that starts, the time uh, involved with doing that starts to build up right. over, you know, over, um, and over time, your ability to get what you need to get done, done goes uh, down. And so as you increase the severity of OCD, you reduce the chances that that individual can function in society. And, and the, the idea is to calm their brain down so that they have peace, correct? Yeah, so the idea at the like circuit brain circuit level is to reduce both the anxiety related to the um, the obsession and you know the, the the need to do these compulsions and uh, the actual belief structure around them, right? So mm-hmm. the reduce the uh, how kind of um, how strongly the kind of uh, initiative is to be that certain, if you will, you know. Um, so right. if I if I if I'm driving and I think I run something over and I kind of loop around and look and I ran over, you know, a can in the road or something like this, I, you know, I would uh, I'd be done with it, right? I'd just go on to do the right. rest of my day. But for somebody like this. Um, you know, they have that sort of a sensation. They they really need to be certain. Uh, they may need to get out of the car and look at it. They may need to look around. They may, and and the reality is that if a hundred people look at that, they're going to say, yeah, the the chances of something being really wrong in the sense of needing to you know attend to it at that level is extremely low. But for somebody in this um, in this framework, the the kind of the percentage chance and the um, the concern around those low percentage chances gets magnified. So somebody like this may encounter a scenario in which there's a one in 10,000 or one in 20,000 chance that something's actually going to happen. But for them, it feels like it's a one in two chance or a one in three chance, you know, and that's really, 
that's really what it is. It's um, it's it's some level for for some people with OCD, it's an inability to risk stratify situations. Right, that makes perfect sense. How quickly, or and I know it's dependent on you know a lot of factors, so this isn't a blanket statement for everyone that has OCD. Mm -hmm. But what kinds of things have you seen in terms of uh, how much treatment before they start? feeling or having lesser effects of the OCD after TMS treatments? Yeah, so it, it um, kind of in a coarse way depends on how severe it is kind of coming in. And and then that some, at some level dictates um, how long it, it takes to work. So the typical TMS course is, you know, between four and six weeks. The trials were all kind of reflective of that sort of time course, and then the numbers generated were generated at the, you know, at the end of a, of that kind of four to six week range, right? And so that's when you see the maximal benefit for for some people. They can start to feel something earlier than that. Um, the beauty of TMS is that, at least in depression, we, we've got more data for this. There's you know, there's a pretty good durability. So out at the six month mark. You know, people that have had benefit without doing anything else retain, two-thirds of people retain that benefit. If you put in boosters, you can get it up closer to 80 to 90%. And so, you know, it, it's a, at some level, it's a, um, it's a chronic therapy, and you're trying to kind of get the system there and maintain it there. Mm -hmm. You know, my lab and others are working on... Um, on trying to to speed that process up, so I'm paired up with a with one of the OCD researchers here at Stanford, Carolyn Rodriguez, to try to make a faster version of this, okay. um, and so we can get it done in in less than a week. But uh, but you know this takes this takes time, right? It takes uh, right. time to try to get the the brain um, moved um, over closer to normal. Yeah. So mm, interesting. Well, in terms of working with, you work directly with patients then, correct? I do. Yeah. So I work directly with patients. I have, um, I see patients clinically. I do clinical TMS. I do research studies as well. All okay. those things. Gotcha. So let's talk about this uh, as we, as we close. Um, what could, what would you say to, you know, family members, friends of people with OCD that are absolutely pulling their hair out? They are so mm -hmm. frustrated you know, they need their own counseling because it's very taxing and it can be ex emotionally exhausting and traumatizing really for people around someone uh, that, that behaves this way, but it helps to understand what it is. So what would you say to our listeners that, you know, experience this from the loved one side? Sure. So, um, not just OCD, but all of the major neuropsychiatric disorders are extraordinarily disabling. They're disabling at the level of the patient. And we know that from World Health Organization, you know, kind of epidemiological uh, data. So we know that neuropsychiatric conditions are the most disabling conditions worldwide for the person. But it's disabling for the family too, right? Mm -hmm. At some level, if somebody comes in and they have, um, they have chest pain, we know how to look at that. We know how to deal with that problem. But if somebody comes in and they have obsessions or they have they have feelings of wanting to do their life or something like this, we don't have 
the test, the, the certainty of certain medical tests yet. Lots of folks are working on that problem. Right. Um, and so, and at some level, when you have a test, you validate the problem. And so that was a huge shift for for people suffering with epilepsy is when we developed the um, EEG, we were able to then diagnose epilepsy with a neurophysiological test. And so part of the family suffering is they don't, they don't, in, not all the time, but many times they don't totally understand the problem. And the, in the case of OCD, the inability to stop. And, and that's difficult because it causes a lot of family strife. Yes. They don't, there's not a test to validate that this is, in fact, a brain condition. Um, part of it is just the sheer kind of logistics of dealing with this, right? So if you're uh, married to somebody with um, OCD or partner with somebody with OCD or you're, um, you have a child with OCD or a parent with OCD, being the other person in the room kind of uh, being present and um, supportive of an individual that needs to kind of go through doing all of these uh, behaviors, which may seem excessive, is is taxing on that individual. And many of these folks take a caregiver role. And, and so, you know, one of the big and important kind of statements here as far as having TMS approach that you can use for OCD is that it's a brain condition, right? If, uh, if, if it wasn't a brain condition, TMS wouldn't work, right? right? If it wasn't actually in the brain, in a in a certain neuroanatomy, it wouldn't work. And we know if you do TMS over, say, the depression target, it doesn't really help OCD, right? So it's not a non-specific effect where you can just TMS anywhere in the brain and right. and OCD gets better. We know it's a certain area of the brain. We know it's a certain way of stimulating in that area a certain approach, and then you can actually have an effect. And so not only is it a brain condition, but it's a, it's a specific brain circuit condition. And it's one that interventions like TMS can really have a big uh, effect on changing. And that validates people. I've had a number of people who've gotten TMS for a variety of conditions come out of having the experience, and they're doing better. And they feel like for the first time in their life, you know, they know that this isn't just them. They know that this is a brain problem. And then they, it's transformative, not only because they're symptomatically better, but because they're validated. Yes. And at some level, it validates the family too, you right. know, because they, they're confused about what this is. They're confused about how volitional all of this is. And when the person comes out of out of the stimulation approach and they're and they're doing better then they they have a sense that yeah we've got our old you know uh, brother back we've got our you know we've got my right. wife back or i've got whatever that's that's the that's the um in many ways the ultimate um good outcome of this is just the the validation and so you know i think um i tell people you know, I'm kind of a surfer, so I tell people this surfing analogy that I think um, not just OCD, but all neuropsychiatric conditions were in front of the wave. And what I mean by that is there's this wave of technology coming, and it may not be that you kind of get up in this kind of extended analogy, kind of get up on the surfboard at the very beginning, but you're in front of the wave, so something's going to happen um, in the next 10 years that will help you. And I think that's the most important you know, it was kind of 
thing I can stress to everyone is that um, is that we're in that kind of technological wave for for the neuroanatomy and neurotechnology interventions within mental illness. Mm. I love that, and I, I love the the another piece that I, I learned from going through a week of this really intense brain training. It wasn't at an amen clinic. It was at a, a different place, and they didn't have a counselor there. Um, they actually couldn't. had a really hard time keeping counselors, and I figured out why later. But it was really interesting to be have my brain stimulated in those ways and have a lot of emotions come out mm. and no one there to help catch that and to help usher that in. So this is another reason why I, I, I really like talking about these kinds of things from the idea of work with people that understand mental health, uh, because using these kinds of things can make you have feelings come out that you've never really processed before and don't really know how. And so working with a trained mental health provider that can help you walk through that is yeah. vital. Otherwise, you feel like you're, you know, you feel better. You do feel better, um, you know, if, if, if the treatment is working for you, but it sort of opens you up. It can open you up to, you know, to other things that have been maybe pushed down because this was what took all of your energy. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's a team approach. It's multi-intervention, multidisciplinary approach that we we all use to try to get people well and to have infrastructure around this. And the TMS is a part of it, but the bigger part of it is having having uh, trained folks to to support um, people very. once they're they are doing well and to interpret it for them or help them interpret for themselves. So yeah, I think uh, I think that. Um, you're absolutely right, and really appreciate the opportunity to to absolutely. chat. Tell our listeners, um, Dr. Nolan Williams, where they can find out more about you. Yeah, so um, you know, if you Google uh, Nolan Williams Stanford, my uh, Stanford page will come up, uh, or Stanford Brain Stimulation Lab, and our lab website will come up. And yeah, more than happy to folks to reach out and we can um, uh, see if you're a good steady candidate or get you into the clinic to do uh, clinical TMS. Mm, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. All right. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you listeners for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.